So I'd like to get your heart and mind focused uh, on something specific as we're about to start this morning. Two questions I want you to think about. And I'd like to encourage you to think more on these questions personally. Maybe write these down if you're, write these down if you're inclined to be a note taker. And um, I think maybe even journal some thoughts during the week. Talk about these questions with your spouse or your family or a close friend, someone you trust. But first question is this, how do I become a disciple of Jesus Christ? How do I become a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does that mean? What does that look like? How do I become a disciple of Jesus Christ? And secondly, if I don't become his disciple, am I likely to be able to hear and obey him? So how do I become a disciple of Jesus Christ? And then if I don't, am I likely to be able to hear and obey him? Now, during this series, we thus far, again, the series is what? Finding and living your calling. Thus far, we have learned that our first calling is to be loved by God. Sounds simple. Sounds straightforward. It's not. If we don't accept his love for us, Jerry Letourneau did a great job teaching us on this. If we don't accept his love for us, then how can we live peacefully and boldly in that love taking risks and following him wherever he may lead us and call us. So if we don't live in his love, our our lives are likely to be far less than they could have been, likely to be less than he created us to be. Is that fair? Is that fair? Okay, guys, making sure you guys were awake. So the second calling that we learned about last week when the power was down, how about that, huh? Anybody notice what the theme this week was for the summer challenge? Kind of comic relief from God last Sunday, right? As we're about to head into power up, he sent the power down. So I've been saying, I think he was trying to make the point that this power doesn't matter. This power matters, right? And the kids learned that firsthand this week. I heard so many great stories. But seriously, thanks to Frank and all the volunteers last week that triaged that situation, tree down, not only is the power down, the road's blocked, there's a lot to do there, right? And for everybody who attended, I think to a person, I have heard people say, that was awesome. That was great. That's what the church is all about. And isn't it interesting when we're not relying on other sources of power in our lives, the experience is something different, isn't it? And it's God. So what did we learn last week, though? We learned that we're called to belong. And that was a good example, as was this week with Summer Challenge, of what it means to belong to the body of Christ, what it means to belong to a community of believers. And just like we don't have a chance of finding and living our calling if we don't live in the love of God, we also, we really don't have a chance to find and live our calling if we're gonna be these lone rangers, you know, just out there all by ourselves, really not wanting to engage in community, not wanting to be part of his body, it's just really difficult, probably pretty unlikely you're going to find and live your calling. So this morning, we're going to study a little bit on, and we're going to talk a little bit with uh, someone from our church that has an amazing story that I think we'll all find very inspiring. But we're going to talk about what it means to be called to become like Christ, I'd like to read a a couple of passages. Uh, This first one you're very familiar with. If you want to read along with me in your Bibles, I can tell you what page number it's at. We're going to be going to Hebrews 12. 
For those of you who would like to read along, it's on page 1017 in your Bibles at your seats. And while you're going there, this is a passage that, again, we're probably all familiar with, but it's not something that necessarily we think about often. This, this journey of discipleship and becoming a disciple, it's a lifelong journey, right? It's not like you just flip a switch and you say, oh, I'm a disciple. No, it's a life of surrender. It's a life of obedience. It's a life of drawing closer to him and trying through submission and surrender and obedience to reflect him more into our life and into our community and into our family. It's a journey. It's a marathon, right? So the writer of Hebrews 12, verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. And I'd like to just add to the end of this, when you are persecuted and experience hostility from sinful people and from a sinful world. Is that fair? Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people then you won't become weary and give up. Let's move over to Mark 17. And again, in your Bibles, that's going to be on, I'm sorry, Mark 10. Uh, no, Mark 17. Mark 10, verse 17. My bad. So that's on page 839. Mark 10. And we're going to start in verse 17 of Mark 10. Now, this is a passage we're all also probably familiar with if you've been reading your Bible uh, for a little while. This is the story of the rich young man who has an encounter with Jesus. Now, how many here this morning feel rich? Wow, in the first service, we, oh, we got one rich person over here. We got, we got another rich, per, oh, get another rich person. All right, all right, the pressure helped. But there's a lot of people who aren't rich here. So I guess you must think I mean, how many Bill and Melinda Gates do we have here this morning? Let me ask you the question differently. Relative to like 99% of the people living on this globe, how many of you feel rich? Well, a little healthier number, but still a lot of hands are not up. So here's the deal. The, <laughs> the vast majority of people living on this earth are not even close to as rich as we are. Now, I'm not talking about just financial rich. I'm talking about creature comforts. I'm talking about a house with a roof over your head, power running through it, running water, clean water at that. Um, jobs to be had in the marketplace. I mean, this, we are rich, okay, by world standards. And what this passage is telling us, we're going to read it, and I love this because there's a lot of red letters here, right? Jesus does a lot of the talking in this passage. The rich have a really hard time, according to Jesus, entering the kingdom of God. And if we're all rich, the very comforts we enjoy, you have to understand, are holding us back they're impediments to our becoming disciples, full-on disciples of Christ. They're interferences. Let's read this passage. Mark 10, again, verse 17. 
As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. What was he saying? He's saying, I've been a disciple since I was young. I know all these things, Jesus. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it? I'm sorry, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property. Catch this, along with persecution. All that hundredfold along with persecution. In the, in the world to come, Jesus says, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. So I'd like to quickly point you to your bulletins. And on the back of the bulletin this morning, I've listed eight key steps in your journey to discipleship. Eight key steps to your journey in finishing what God has uniquely for you and for your calling and for your life and I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I'm just going to read through these really quickly. But, but again, this is something, as a disciple, that I really encourage you guys to like spend some time with this week reflecting on. Talk with a spouse. Talk with a loved one or a friend or a family member. What does this mean? Sit down, have a cup of coffee, and have a conversation that actually matters for something, right? It's not any of these things. None of them are easy, but they're all pretty straightforward, right? Number one, simplify your life. That's... That's like so easy, right? Come on. Simplify your life. Yeah, right. Number two, be patient and not in a hurry. Now, I saw you guys on the road the other day. Uh, it didn't seem like, oh, never mind. Be patient and not in a hurry. Focus on Jesus every day. 
Focus on Jesus every day. When life gets hard, remember the reward. This life's not the reward, is it? When life gets hard, remember the reward. Gather a team to run with you. It's a lot more fun, isn't it? A lot more confidence building. It's a lot more inspiring. It's a lot more, just it's a lot better all around to get a team to run with you. Number six, receive God's cheers at all your stages. This would include a stage where you considered it a failure. He's still cheering for you, brother and sister. He's cheering. Receive his cheers at all your stages. Number seven, take every step with purpose. Take every step with purpose. Enter into every step with, Lord God, what's your purpose for this? Show me your purpose. Help me to see your purpose. Help me to submit and surrender to that purpose. And then number eight, realize that what you don't finish, God will. This is difficult for those of us fellow control freaks out there. You may only be starting something, but just, just know that God will finish it. You don't have to necessarily finish it. So again, spend some time talking about these things. Maybe journal some thoughts, but these eight things, these are the keys to being able to finish what God has started. Uh, what I'm gonna do at this point is I'm gonna invite one of our uh, church family members, Rick Lindner, up, and uh, Marcel's gonna come up and pull the TV away for us. We get some stools over here for the two of us. I'm gonna do a little interview with Rick who has, along with his wife Cheryl, uh, just an in, a really amazing, inspiring, challenging story. Uh, and we're just blessed to have them be a part of our family here at the church. And so I wanna ask Rick some questions this morning around his story, because it's a story of becoming a disciple and uh, hearing God and obeying his call on their lives. And before I start asking questions, I think what would be helpful is to give everyone a little bit of context about your story, Rick, okay. and Cheryl's, obviously. All right, thank you. <clears throat> well, my name is Rick. My wife, um, Cheryl, uh, we've been married for 33 years. Uh, we have six wonderful children. And um, we've been coming to this church, now, I think, about a little over two years. Um, so our journey for, to China took place probably back in 1996, and it was my wife's heart for China, not my, not my heart. Um, she um, wanted to adopt a child from China, and at the time I was still young, I said, we, can, we don't need to adopt, we can still make children, and she said, no, no, I want to adopt from China, and I just wasn't on board. So. My wife prayed for me, and she continued to pray. And, and then we were with the family one day, and we learned some more things about China. And um, I said, okay, we'll, um, we'll um, adopt from China. It, all I had to do was say that, and my wife was on it within minutes, and she's already got all the paperwork going. And next thing I know, <laughs> we're going to China. So... Um, that was in about 2000. We went to China for the first time, and that's when I got hooked into China. So much that we went back a year later, right after 9-11 it was actually, and we um, adopted our second child. In 2008, I went to um, um, a mission trip to China with our church um, from California, and um, I forgot, I'll go back. So we moved to California from Massachusetts. We moved out to California. We attended Saddleback Church in California, which had a lot of great um, 
um, ministries that we, we got to um, be involved with. And so I went on a missions trip to China, and when I got back, to, I said to my wife, I said, we, we need to move to China. She said no. So, so now it was my turn to start praying for her. And it took a couple of years, I started praying for my wife, and then she came to me and said, I want to uh, move to China. I think we're ready. I think God is calling us to go. And um, uh, we decided to, we belong to um, one of the ministries at our church called Asia Night. And that Asia Night, I got up and I um, asked for prayer for my wife and my family that we wanted to go to um, be missionaries in China. We asked for prayer that God would open doors or close them if it wasn't, wasn't him calling us to go there. And right after that, a little, little Chinese lady walks up to me and says, our pastor is looking for a family to go to China. And I said, okay, well, I would love to talk to him, thinking that would take months and months. The following week, he calls me. He wants to uh, meet us. Um, I said, okay, let's set up a time. That only took a week. So the following week, he was at our house having dinner. And then he said, okay, we'll get back to you. Again, thinking that's going to take some time. The following week, he said to us, we feel your family's the family we want to go to China. So we said, okay, God, God uh, you're opening these doors. If they continue to open, we're, we're all, you know, we're on board to go. And sure enough, the doors just kept opening. Things all worked out. And um, I quit my job in, I think that was June. And I gave a month's notice so they could find somebody. My boss didn't believe me. He thought I was taking a new job. Who goes to China, he said. So I said, I do. And he didn't believe me. But uh, so July, um, we sold everything we owned. We cars, beds, everything we owned. We just, we just gave it, you know, we sold it. We gave a lot of stuff away, but we, we needed some money to have to go to China. So um, we sold everything and... August 4th, we were on a plane going to a city called Xi'an, um, and we didn't know where we were going to stay, we didn't know where we were going to live, but God worked all that out. He gave us a brand new apartment, um, and he gave it to us for free. I mean, we didn't have to pay for our apartment. Um, it, was, it was something that, um, that was somebody's um, donation to us, is the, the apartment. So, so that, the, the first part of our journey was all worked out, and... Um, and we didn't leave there for four years, so, and we got home in 2014. Wow. What I love about this part of their story is, I think oftentimes we think in Hollywood terms about God's calling us. This is the real life messy reality of a married couple engaging with God, hearing him and responding to him. And I love, you know, it's Cheryl at first feeling led to adopt and Rick's not on board and eventually he's on board. God speaks through that circumstance to really inspire Rick to go and do missionary work. He gets really inspired. He wants to move there. Cheryl's not on board. And you see this, this respectful engagement with God and with each other, just trusting God to create the unity, to open the doors. And this is what it looks like in real life, right? This isn't, it's not like some, you know, well, I shouldn't say it's not. I guess it could be, but more, more often than not, it's not, you know, this burning bush experience, right? It's, yeah. it's God speaking, maybe you know, putting something on our hearts and maybe one of us is there and, and the other's not and we're just asking for God to open doors and then as he does, we're, we're actually needing to walk through them. Right. So tell me a little bit about what was it that initially sparked uh, Cheryl 
around this whole adoption idea that kind of started it all? Yeah, um, my wife likes to read a lot, and usually when she reads a lot, it's something that I have to do later. <laughs> and so I, when she said I'm reading something, I always get nervous because <laughs> it's not usually good. So, but she she was reading about China and what happens to the the children there when their parents, especially girls back um, back at that time, they just the girls pretty much got tossed away and they wanted a boy. So she heard that and her heart was just like, we need to go um, adopt a child. And um, we did it four times. So <laughs> something she was reading was good, I guess. Mm. So, <laughs> And then different but similar in a sense that God was speaking to your heart mm. around this whole missionary idea. There was a book, as I recall, that had a big impact on yeah, you. Yeah, it's a book called Safely Home. It's, a, it's about a, um, a pastor there in China. Um, they, a lot of underground, uh, most every Christian there is underground. There's nothing, the churches they have is called the Three Self Church, which is government run, which they take all the, the Jesus part out of the Bible. So the government wants them to love them, not Jesus. So, but most of it, uh, that story is about a, a pastor, an um, underground church of how he um, pretty much gives his life to death for, for the Lord. And not a true story, but it is a true story when you read it. It, it. It's how it really happens there. There's more Christians in China than there are anywhere in the world. You just don't get to see them. Mm. And I was sharing another story about how I met um, some Chinese people that received a Bible as a gift that just wept and not like we receive it we say oh thank you and they they just wept and cried and wow. pages are just soaking wet of tears and um, that's how they feel about christ and i feel that's how we should all feel about christ too so that book if anyone who's interested uh rick speaks so highly of it i actually uh, read it or listened to it on audible mm. myself it's called safely home by randy alcorn um, very impactful book um, and just such a beautiful picture of what it looks like in China to lead an underground church and the sacrifice, the cost uh, of doing so, literally risking your life to do so. Um, what I think is important to take away from this part of Rick and Cheryl's story is how God spoke to them. You know, you heard Rick say, I didn't hear God audibly per se, right? No. And neither did Cheryl. But their heart was breaking for something that breaks the heart of God. And they were in tune with that enough to not just feel it and feel a sense of sadness and emotion for it and do nothing with it. They actually followed up on it, right? They said, Lord, what are you doing with this emotion that you're causing us to feel? And this is often how God talks to us. This is often how God communicates to us. And I think he's trying to see, are we awake at that spiritual level to be in tune with the things that break his heart? And what I love about their story beyond that was they didn't just, like I said, blow past it. They said, Lord, what, what you, they prayed about it. Lord, what are you trying to show us through this? They told people. They told people they trusted. They shared it at this meeting and really opened it up to people and to God. They said, God, open doors if it's your will. And so this is similarly how we can not only hear him, but how we can pursue him, how we can live out what he may be leading us to do. As I think that's a beautiful story. So... Uh, when we talk about discipleship, Rick, another book that I wanted to mention to everyone is a classic. Uh, some of you may have read, and Bar our own Barbara Mano sent me this uh, as a, a way of saying thank you recently, but it's, it's by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 
who was a martyr that died in the Nazi concentration camps. And it's entitled The Cost of Discipleship. And, um, you know, just in the simple story, in a sense, of the rich young man, Jesus himself is calling him into the kingdom, is calling him into discipleship. Follow me, sell everything, follow me. And he can't do it. The cost is too great. The sacrifice is too great. He can't give that up. And yet, in some, some way, this is exactly what you guys had to do. You literally sold everything. Tell us a little bit about the cost that you, you know, you, you know as a family incurred as you followed him. Yeah, like, like I said, um, so my wife and I may have been a little naive towards this, uh, thinking there's going to be cost to it. But most of the costs were, were monetary or friendships or my two daughters, who are only at the time, I think, maybe eight or nine years old. They didn't have a choice. They had to come with us because we were going. So, um, so some of the costs, let's say... We had, I gave up a job that was a, um, a good paying job. Um, I gave up things. Um, I gave up friendships from our church. Um, our, um, my son, who, we, uh, my oldest son, we left behind here. He didn't want to go to China. So, though he did come out and visit for five weeks and enjoyed his time, but never had a heart to stay there. And then my oldest daughter, who, We've been, we prayed for our whole family to go, and she was in college at the time, and she called uh, her mom and said, um, I'm feeling called to go with you. And she stayed with us the whole four years. And well, we lost it. We can, she can speak Chinese, read Chinese, write Chinese, and she's blonde hair, blue-eyed girl, and my Chinese kids don't even speak Chinese, so it was, it was kind of odd. <laughs> They would, all the Chinese people would see us coming and they'd walk over to my daughters to ask them questions, yet my blonde-haired daughter was the one giving them all the answers. So. <laughs> That's great. So, and then obviously, all the comforts of your life yeah, those... here. But yet, you know, when we think of discipleship, not only do we think of the cost of it, what I think sometimes people miss is, you know, when Jesus talks in Mark to the rich young man, he says, you know, uh, uh, not, not in... Um, uh, you know, he says, I'll, I'll multiply it 100 times. Mm. You know, what does that look like? I mean, you've had so many blessings in your life, both while you were in China and since, yeah. that God could only do through that experience. Talk a little bit about the blessing side of it. God, God works in some ways that I don't understand. So one thing we, we always did is try not to worry about money because we didn't earn money there. We had to count on our friends and family to send us some um, support. So one time we had one dollar left in our account and this Chinese um, woman that I was helping with her website to help her get her business going invited my wife and my family to come up to the mountains with her um, just, to get a, just to get away. She knew she was a Christian, she knew that we were Christian and she knew how we lived and I told her, I can't go, I have no money. And she goes, no, no, I want to pay for the whole thing. This whole time we need about $5,500 to stay in the country. And we had $1 in our account. And so we went to the mountains with her, no internet connection, no nothing. We worried about nothing. We just had this, we actually saw blue skies for the first time too. So China's covered in smog most of the time. So, or not smog, pollution. So um, we were up in the mountains and 
never thought about we need this much money by next week to stay in the country. And we had a great time with this lady. We worshiped God together, and then we got home, and me being the guy that needs to know, I pushed on my email to see if we had any donations, and God had put $8,800 in our account. So we were taken care of for another six months. It was, it was amazing. But um, your question... Talk about your two sons. Oh, yeah, my two boys. Okay, so <laughs> well, I'll share that. So our mission statement while we lived there was to love God and obey his word, to humbly, humbly serve orphans, widows, or anyone God puts in our, in our life, provi providing for their physical, emotional, and spiritual needs in the name of Jesus Christ. So the first people we met there were, were Australian uh, doctors who took care of orphans, and they had said to my wife and I after we had dinner together, would you um, want to care for a little boy? And we said, sure. And then she told us how young he was. He was still an infant. And I said, no. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm too old for that. And so we said, no, we, we'll just keep, you know, this, this was within two weeks. God had already put this person in our lives. And here I am saying no, because I was worried about myself not sleep, sleeping. So we get home and this is hanging on our, our refrigerator. And I said, how can I say no, no to God? And so I called, I called uh, the lady and um, he's now our son, our forever son. So he came home. We adopted him, and now he's our forever son. The last little boy we adopted, he was our last orphan we cared for, but um, the government wouldn't get his paperwork ready for us to, to adopt him. And so we um, had to leave him behind, which crushed my fa our family that we had to just leave him there in China. Um, fast forward to 2016, and um, a friend of mine from China um, contacted me and said that he was on a uh, waiting list uh, on a, um, to be able to be adopted now, and, but he, he was with an organization that only accepted Christian families, and the organization we were with had to call them to let them know that we are a Christian family, and they were allowed him to be adopted by us. And, He's now our last little child that we adopted. But God kept him available for us. Even if that lady from China never contacted me, I would have never known he, was, he could have been adopted by somebody else. So, so we kept our whole family together that was in China. So. And then, you know, at some level, I, I, I know we've talked about this, just four years in China, all that that experience brought with it, um, you'll never be the same no. living here in the States and how you engage with, as we talked about earlier, our comforts and our yeah. richness that we don't often realize is as rich as it is. Talk yeah. to that a little bit. So the first thing that ups, first thing when we got home, we went to Target and we were like, wow, look at all this stuff. You know, we, we didn't see that in China. But the thing that upset me the most coming home was listening to people complain. They complained about not having this, not having that, why this, why that. And I'm like, Chinese people don't complain. And they make maybe $10 a week, you know, and it's like, and they're the happiest people I've ever met. And, <clears throat> excuse me, all they, all they cared about was fresh water, fresh air. They didn't care about their bank account like a lot of us do. And so that was hard for me to come back and listen to people complain. And now I have 12 employees that work for me and I'm like, 
all they do is complain, you know, and I can't. <laughs> I just feel like if I could fire them all and start over, but you, you can't do that, so. <laughs> well, there's obviously so much more that we'd love to talk with, with uh, Rick and with Cheryl about. Those of you who are interested in learning more, it's all about belonging, right? So reach out to them, have a coffee, have a meal together, um, and learn from their story. That's what I think one of the purposes among many that God has for them being in our midst. Uh, I'd like to invite the worship team back up. Uh, apologize for the little bit of feedback we're picking up here. But I want to just point you to a particular verse within that passage from Mark that we read. And I don't know how many of you realize this. You know, we, it was kind of interesting. I saw it on the, uh, the, song, the second song that the kids were singing this morning, this idea that everything is possible with God. I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus said those words. In Mark 10, 27, he says, I, he looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. And Rick and Cheryl's story is a beautiful picture for us of something that, let's, let's face it, most of us wouldn't have seen the open doors, wouldn't have asked for the open doors, wouldn't have walked through the open doors. And the reality is the only way that story could be written was by God and by their trusting God. And that's what we're called to as we become disciples.